Welcome to LilyPod episode 54, Mental Health Stewardship with Gainalyn Condi. Jeff and Kathy Teichert, bringing you another episode of LilyPod, a production of Love in Later Years. We are certified life coaches, authors of the Amazon bestseller Intentional Courtship, and members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Our messages are directed toward mid-singles and later married couples. We also welcome all who enjoy personal growth and enriching relationships. This is Jeff and Kathy Tigert with LilyPod, and joining us today is Gaina Lynn Condi. And she's a, mo- a popular motivational speaker known for inspiring others with her unique honesty, authenticity, and spirit. She's dedicated to her family, faith, and inspiring others. Gaina Lynn loves teaching others with speaking and writing. She has experienced healing from a major chronic illness and is the mother of two miracle children. After the heartbreaking suicide of her 40-year-old sister, Gaina Lynn is constantly working towards prevention. Gaina Lynn loves, or lives with an open heart and feels passionate about sharing principles that will empower others to live life with more joy. She is a regular television radio guest and hosts the popular shows Real Talk, CFM, and The Middle. Gainalyn's talks and books have now encouraged thousands of people all over the world. She loves growing older with her cute husband, Rob, and aims to learn to keep learning and loving. Welcome, Gainalyn. Thank you so much for joining us. Yes, welcome. Thank you for having me. It's a, it's, it feels uh, like a great opportunity to have conversation with people that um, get what we're going to talk about today. So, yeah, and I think we're we're calling it mental health is health. Yeah. Yeah. For me, um, you know, there's, there's still in all the work that I've done and others are doing in this area. Um, there's still a stigma with mental health. There's still a, you know, at the time of this recording, it's January of a new year, right? I don't know when the listener might be listening or tuning into it, but at the time of January each year, we always have these goals and it feels like social media is flooded with ads for losing weight. I mean, that just feels like everyone's got a health goal for the year and they want to eat better and exercise more. And so I really love talking about mental health anytime I can. Um, but I really believe that it's, it's just a health, it's a health topic, right? Like we talk about the score on the game or the latest show we're binge watching on Netflix or, you know, the best restaurant we found or, and, and those are normalized conversations we have around the dinner table or with our friends all the time. For me, mental health is, is right up there with just all the other health things that we could be talking about. I wish there were ads in January for therapists. I wish there were ads in January for support groups. I wish there were ads for so many other things that, uh, you know, meditation. I think there's so much that, that we could talk about today. And so I'm excited to see where the conversation goes. But for me, mental health 
is help. That's it. It's Definitely. part of my help. And we actually have been having a special with our Lily coaching because um, we're certified life coaches. And that's something we work on is the mental health of our clients. And it's definitely something we like to encourage um, people to, to do for themselves is to work on that piece, that work on their thoughts and um, how that's creating their life. And I know I've approached this new year a lot more gently than I usually do because mm -hmm. I think for the same reason, I want a balanced, a balance in holistic health for me and is approaching things a little more gently this year. Yeah. One thing that, that struck me as you were talking, Ganolin, um, I'm saying your name right. You are long Ganolin. Yeah. That's the, that's the biggest challenge when I'm interviewed on any show <laughs> is how to say my name. So you did it. So I was thinking, anyway, as you were talking, uh, you know, mental health is health and, and that whole point. I also think pain is pain. Um, and sometimes when it's mental health and we can't see it, the person looks normal, you know, they're not running around screaming, you know, with their clothes off or something. They're just, they look like a normal person and yet deep inside they could be really hurting. Mm -hmm. and I think, well, I've, I've read uh, studies that of functional MRIs on the, my, on the brains of people that have actually recently been through an unwanted divorce. And their brains light up in exactly the same places as people who are experiencing physical pain. Yeah. And so I think, you know, it's, you would, all, you would be almost insensitive to you know, go tell somebody that's sick, you know, with heart disease, cancer, whatever, and they're laying in their hospital bed, say, uh, you need to snap out of it. You know, you need to get beyond this. And yet we do that all the time with people that are having mental health issues. Yeah. And there's a large portion of the population that maybe has never personally experienced a mental health uh, crisis challenge or diagnosis, but I've given over 3,200 keynotes all over the world. And um, it doesn't matter what country I'm in or what state in the United States I'm in, what demographic I'm speaking to. All of us either struggle with some mental health issues or love someone that does. So for me, mental health is not just help. Mental health is help for everyone. And I think especially after the last year and a half, two years of a pandemic, there are those that have never, ever identified as someone that struggles men mental, with mental health um, issues that now do. And I think the pandemic has had gifts for us and challenges for us. And I think if you are one of those that has never identified as, as experiencing maybe chronic anxiety, depression, or periodic symptomatic depression, anxiety, um, you likely love someone that does. So I think a conversation that we can have today is applicable to anyone, regardless of their marital status or their diagnosis. And like you said, Jeff, um, we would never say to someone that has a um, physical ailment, you know, to get over it. We were talking right before we started taping. I fell right before the holidays and um, I fell on the ice and broke my wrist and, and dislocated my tailbone. And I was so frustrated with the timing of it all because it was two weeks before Christmas. And, and I remember thinking, okay, what is God trying to teach me today? Because 
um, I had scheduled already to rest over the holidays, right? So a lot of people on social media, on my social media platforms, I'm pretty vulnerable and authentic. And I think people feel like they can be that way with me said, oh, well, God's trying to slow you down. And I think sometimes when we're dealing with a mental health issue, it can feel like sometimes it, it popped up out of now, nowhere. Like when I fell on the ice and broke my wrist and dislocated my tailbone, it was like, wait, this wasn't on, this wasn't on the schedule. This wasn't part of the plan. This isn't how I wanted my holiday to look. And so if you find yourself all of a sudden challenged in a way mentally that you've never experienced before, um, I do believe there's lessons in it, but I also believe that, um, sometimes as, as well-meaning friends and family, we can say things that are either helpful or not helpful. And um, I think the worst thing you can say to someone that is dealing with, I'm gonna just use uh, anxiety, but there's a lot of mental health labels that can be talked about. Sure. Um, why are you why are you stressed about that? You shouldn't be worried about that, you know? Um, as if, if we would just tell our loved one to get over it, then they could just get over it. And the reality is just like, I had to go through a process of getting support. I went to various doctors and support staff to help me heal from that fall. Um, I wasn't sure how long it was going to take. And I think sometimes with mental health, it, it can be periodic. It can be over a, a challenge and unexpected death or, or divorce or other things that can happen in our lives or job loss, right? There are a variety of things, or it can be something that you've spent a lifetime, you know, really um, dealing with as a companion. And so I think if you're not someone that has had the experience, you love someone that does. And so it's worth having a conversation and understanding about it because yeah, we, we inadvertently say things that aren't helpful to each other all the time. And really all of us are just doing the best we can with what we have going on, right? Like we're all, we're all wrestling with something. Let's just assume that. Yeah. And so I think what you were saying in the first place is that no matter whether somebody has experienced a, a medically diagnosed anxiety or depression, we all need to have some awareness of our mental health and take care of it. Right. And for me, it's, it's part of what I check in with in my own mind every day. So when I wake up in the morning, I grew up in a home where not only did my sister die by suicide, but my mom has dealt with uh, bipolar disorder uh, most of my life and other members of my family deal with it. And so for me, it's almost a natural thing. Like you wake up in the morning and you're assessing your day and you're deciding what you're going to eat for breakfast. Are you going to exercise, shower, get dressed? I, I would suggest to your listeners mental health check-in for yourself every day should just be part of your normal routine. It's not like brushing a, your teeth. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a separate thing. And the same thing when I have people come up to me at events or read out, reach out on social media and ask about a child or a spouse that is struggling, I always say to them, um, is it normalized in your home? Do you have conversations at the dinner table that make mental health feel like it's a part of your normal routine of your day and your family? Oftentimes it takes one person in a family to kind of go through a mental health crisis to kind of wake up a whole family, right? And so I think it's one of those ways in which we can make mental health um, part of our, our culture in a different way when we normalize it and, and kind of just assess how are, you, how are you doing? One of the questions I like to ask myself is what would support look like today? right? If I wake up and I can get a sense of what I'm feeling, 
great. But there are other days I wake up and I'm not sure what I'm feeling. I wake up and I'm like, okay, I'm not sure I'm sad. I'm not sure if I'm feeling tired. I'm not sure, sure if I'm just feeling ambiguous, right? Sometimes we make feelings all about three emotions, mad, sad, or angry. And there's a variety of, of emotions that we can have at any given moment. And so one thing I like to ask myself is if I'm not sure what I'm feeling, what would support look like? And if I am sure what I'm feeling and I know I need support, I ask myself, what would support look like today? And it's on me then to be a mental health advocate for myself and, and seek out the support that I need. And that's why I think podcasts are amazing because um, they reach people while they're doing their exercise, driving around town, doing their errands, paying their bills, you know, cleaning the bathroom, whatever they're doing. And um, you got these little earbuds in and all of a sudden, you know, you're hearing conversations that allow you to get aware of where you're at and what you might need. And so that's why I host two weekly shows. And that's why I guest on a lot of shows because it reaches people in their kind of everyday functioning, which is where our mental health needs to be um, checked on. I was feeling challenged the other day and I was thinking, what podcast can I listen to? Because <laughs> I, I know what you're saying. It can kind of help us get out of maybe whatever funk we're in and allow us to maybe explore our mind a little bit. Right. More. right. Yeah. We like listening too. It's funny because sometimes my go-to method is connecting and talking. I mean, I'm a talker. And so I like to go to somebody, a good friend, whatever, and just let them know what's on my mind. And Sometimes it helps to talk it out. And then there's these other moments where maybe if I've had so much pressure from people and things like that, and that's why I'm a little down, I just need to take a drive by myself or go meditate for you know 30 minutes or whatever. So I think for me, it depends on the situation, but I, I like how you're encouraging people to check in with that each day and understand what support would look like today is it, and it changes. To to, or is it space or what is it right and and i like to really analogize all the complex things in life and the analogy i like to use jeff of what you just were referencing is to get a big toolbox and so if your refrigerator breaks you don't just go and try the first screwdriver and if that doesn't work you're done you know most of us need a functioning refrigerator you know to stay alive to keep our food from going bad and so you would go back to your toolbox, dig through the toolbox and try to find a tool that would work to fix it. And so I like to kind of give that framework for our mental health that we're, we're listening to podcasts, we're going to therapists, we're talking to life coaches, we're reading books, we're checking out blog posts, we're praying, we're meditating, we're, I get a weekly massage almost, almost every week, just because for me, that's one of my mental health tools, right? It's not just for my physical health, it's for my mental health as well. And so if your listeners are listening to this and they're like, listen, I've tried therapy. I've tried this. I've tried meditation. Great. You know, maybe in the conversation we're going to have today, they're going to find a tool to add to their toolbox. And there's a lot of days the last week specifically to be fully transparent. I have felt a lot of emotions that I don't have words for. And so I've been digging through my own personal toolbox. Okay. What, what would work? And I've been picking things up that doesn't work. Put that back reach out to a friend that's not working, meditate more, rest more. Do I need to get an additional support with a therapist, right? So I don't think it's a one or a done. There's days that the tools that normally work aren't working, you know? And my favorite thing is to call a trusted friend because to me, connection is the biggest 
and best treatment for mental health issues, right? It's 100%. about connection. Yeah. Now there's one thing that always at least improves my, my mental health temporarily, and that is physical exercise. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it seems like no matter what the issue is, that'll at least give me a lift for an afternoon or something. Right. So I'd throw that out as another tool in yep. the toolbox. It's in my toolbox on a daily basis. Moving your body, not moving your body because you want it to look like the magazine picture you just saw, but moving your body because when your chemistry is good, then your mental health is good, right? And, and movement affects our chemistry. Sure. That's the immediate payoff of exercise. Right. The weight loss may come down the line months or even years, but the mental health benefit is almost immediate. Right. Right. When you talk about staying in our bodies. Yes. Yes. I know. It's, I know you it's my hashtag. It's my hashtag. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, part of staying in our bodies, moving our bodies is part of, of being in our body. Like it actually puts us in more in our body than in our head for a minute. Right, and right. It actually can help us shift directions, I found out. So if you're like stewing about something, I found like that the best like tool for me at least, um, and I think this is this can be true for a lot of people, is that if you change directions physically, then our your mind shifts faster. Yeah, it's, a, neuro it's a neurological reset. And so whatever you do neurologically, I mean, I. I refer to a lot of therapists. People ask if I'm a therapist. I have a minor in psychology, but I am not a practicing therapist. Um, they will often give tools exactly what Kathy was just referencing of changing direction. And so like even cold water or movement or smells, right? All of those sensory changes allow us to change the neural pathway in our brain of that kind of ruminating. I think Kathy, you were talking about where you get stuck in your thinking. And we believe at times that our thoughts are facts, that our feelings are facts, right? And um, I think one of the most important tools I've been using the last few days while I've been struggling is that I've tried to go into observation instead of judgment. So when a thought or a feeling comes up, um, I try to observe. Like if I if I observe myself instead, I often want to go into judgment. What does it mean? What do I need to do with that? Right. I'm always about progression. I'm a very like movement forward, check it off the list kind of person. And um, I have to really check that sometimes because sometimes there, there isn't clarity yet. There's not a reason why yet. Right. And so I think it's, it's, it's a really good opportunity to just kind of be curious, get curious about huh, isn't that interesting? I've been feeling this way for a day or two. Um, I just heard a, a friend of mine that's a therapist say that one of the things that is helpful to, you know, as human beings, we have good days and bad days. I get asked, is it time for therapy? The two questions I ask is, has it changed your ability to function in your normal life? And has it gone on beyond two weeks? Those are two really good litmus tests for um, is it time to maybe get some additional support? You know, maybe this isn't just a normal low time or hard day or challenging, challenging experience. Uh, you can't see, but I wore this specifically for our interview today. It's cool to talk about mental health because it is, it's cool to talk about it with you guys today. And it's cool to talk about it every day. And sometimes we're just having a mental health day. Um, but the point 
for your listeners is if you've noticed in your curiosity that you've gone beyond two weeks, two weeks, you're not able to function in your normal life, like the normal functioning of going to work and taking care of yourself, it may be time to reach out and get some additional objective perspective because oftentimes we're stuck in our own head here, right? With our own ruminating. And it's nice to have someone check how we're talking to ourselves, what we're feeling about ourselves and and get that objective point of view to kind of help get unstuck. Right, and then if if they go walking or do some kind of neurological reset by movement, um, then that allows them to see if it, it has become something that needs more assistance than that. Right. And I also wanted to just mention that I learned when I learned about this neurological reset, it was in the context of when you go to another room and you completely forgot what you went for, it's because your brain knew what it was looking for in the previous room. And then you moved and your brain reset. And that's how you forgot. Yeah. Is that interesting? Like yeah, it's wonderful. It's why I often tell people get up and make your bed because right there you're signaling to your brain that you are changing the movement and direction of your day, right? You're no longer going to be sleeping. You're making your bed now. And so it's a, it's a literal reset of what your brain is because when we're sleeping and we don't want to get up, it's easy to just stay in that space. Right. And, and so that's just a simple mental health tool, making your bed, you know, for me has always been a practice by kind of resetting the day and starting the day. Yeah. And whenever I have to start my day too fast and I don't get to do that, it never feels like as fresh of a start, like it's not as intentioned as I want it to be. Right. So I think that's great advice. Um, You know, someone mentioned to me who, um, who's experienced a lot of low energy right now that it's, it's not even really within her grasp to get in the shower every day. Mm -hmm. And so we talked about maybe just getting ready to whatever degree she feels like she can, even if it's just a splash of water on her face, even if it's just walking in the bathroom and intending to get in the shower, but then not feeling it, you know, like anything. Yeah. And I would say for those listeners that are tuning in that have never experienced depression, that's a really good description, Kathy, of, can you imagine feeling that way for an extended period of time? I did actually. Yes. It wasn't depression as much as it was um, hormonal imbalance. Uh-huh. So my hormones were out of whack. My body had just depleted of energy. Right. Um, but then I noticed that I was developing depression from sitting around. Right. right? So it was kind of a cycle. And so yeah. depression definitely played into it, but I've yeah. also had depression too. So I, I, and anxiety, I've dealt with all of that. Um, but yeah, so it's, I think, but like you said, two weeks, um, whether it's, whether, whatever it is, whether it's physical, um, emotional, it it, is kind of always both, right? Right. (laughs) They feed off of each other. I mean, if someone is listening that deals with chronic anxiety, it can form a a layer of depression because that constant anxiety fight, that fight or flight feeling can trigger a a very depressive state. And, And that's probably more my tendency. My anxiety tends to be the louder voice. And then I have to watch that the depression doesn't show up because of that anxiety, right? Well, and the anxiety can exhaust and depress you. Exactly, exactly. That's exactly, yeah. And that's the exact point of like, sometimes people go, well, I'm not depressed. Well, great. But but then they start to identify that they are dealing with kind of either low grade or mid grade anxiety on a regular basis. And that voice 
eventually depresses the body and the brain because you're constantly kind of fighting that anxiety. So I'd like to ask you something that's specific to a lot of our listeners. Right. We're talking about divorcees and widows a lot, a lot of them. Or those who have uh, never married, haven't had the opportunity to marry and they're on their own and they feel like, you know, life is passing them by. That can be rough too. I mean, we, we know that that group of people, at least at certain crucial points, commit suicide at a higher rate than the, the average. Uh, interestingly, I mean, this isn't among our audience, but I found out recently that farmers commit suicide at three times the national average. And that's because of farm stress. And you normally think of farmers as pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you know, buck up. Well, well, and Jeff, I'm going to say on that, generally speaking, that demographic would be male based. Yes. And um, I'm not, I'm not discounting their, their partners or women that are also running farms because there are a lot of women running farms, but the number one group dying by suicide across the board in every state is middle-aged men. And so I think it's important to know that 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 pull you up from the bootstraps is probably why that demographic is dying at a higher rate right because they're not doing the things that we've already talked about on this episode they're not checking in with another person and maybe feeling able to be transparent or vulnerable about what they're struggling with they're not maybe culturally um or or in a societal structure where mental health and therapy is celebrated or talked about they're not um they're especially with farmers, it's very cyclical, right? Like it's very uh, vulnerable because how well your farm does based on your weather, right? So I think when you're talking about your group of listeners that generally listen, those that are single by choice, um, maybe not by choice, by circumstance, by loss of death or divorce, um, it feeds right into that same correlation with farmers. Like we all can start to feel like we're living on our own island, right? Where our situation is very um, um, isolating. And so I think for your, for your general listening audience, right? That is a group of people that are going to have to be very intentional. If you're not living with someone that you're partnering with, right? Married, um, what does, what does it look like? to make sure that there's others that you are connecting with at a level where you would have a conversation that maybe a farmer or a widow is not having, right? Did you see how I did that? I took the farmers and I made them. Yeah. It's all, it's all about connection. We were, yes, we are all wired for connection. And so whether you're a farmer who thinks it's all on your shoulders to make sure there's enough water to grow your crops or feed your animals and, and you're out, dealing with that in your own head all the time alone, or your single widow, widower, or divorcee who is feeling like it's all on me. I've got to fix the sink that's leaking and pay the bills and maybe raise the kids and then find a house. And who am I going to talk to? Who's going to be the other brain in my daily journey to to connect with? And a lot of them are saying, and when am I going to have the time for that? Exactly. Right. Right. Especially if there's children involved and they're not feeling like there's um, a, a way for for dating or part, finding a new partner to even enter into their survival mode. So what if they are in survival mode? What do you recommend? So I would say um, a good friend of mine, Jenny Taylor, she's a gold star widow. Um, she lost her husband, Major Brent Taylor, who was the mayor of, of North Ogden in Afghanistan. And she has a young family. 
you know, and she's trying to kind of juggle everything. And um, I love Jenny because she's been very open, you know, with the rest of the world about her loss of her spouse. And, and, and I know for her and conversations I've had with her and others and the shows that I do, I'm able to have conversations similar to what you have here on this show, um, that it goes back to what we started this episode talking about. What does support look like? I think when you're in survival mode, there's certain things that only you can do, right? There's certain roles in your home that maybe the problem is when we're in survival, we believe everything on the list is only doable by us. Like that is the voice that is usually ruling the day. Every day you wake up thinking there are no options. There are no way in which I can take something off this list. It is all on me. And when that is your mindset, I mean, I think you can all feel that exhaustion of just what we've all been in those states of mind where it feels like there's too much and not enough of you and there's no one else that can do it and it's all on you. So I would say, first and foremost, make a list of the people in your life that are in your life. Don't put value on them. Don't say, well, my, my religious leader is not that great to talk to and my mom isn't available because she just make a list of all the the people that are on your team right and just like on any team using a sports analogy not everyone on the team does the same thing or else it's not really a team right so I'm going to just pick soccer because I played it as a kid but you know you have different assignments depending where you're on the field and what your role is and what you should be doing so start with that list, brainstorm. And I believe in the power of prayer. And so for me, sometimes when I'm in this mindset, it's super helpful to kneel down and say, God, help my mind remember who I have in my corner, right? Right. And I'd like to, to say something about that real quick. And, and without getting too far away from what you said about um, middle-aged men being the, the highest demographic. Um, now, what, I'm different from a lot of men. Uh, in this way, I'm more emotionally open and so on. But when I went through my divorce, I, I woke up every day for about four years feeling like I'd been kicked in the stomach. And I mean, I carried that feeling around all day long. I took it to bed every night. It was completely relentless. And I thought I would never be happy again. And uh, I thought it was interesting the way that the, the, the saving grace really was doing exactly what you said a minute ago. It was to reach out to a lot of old friends. Some of them I hadn't heard from in 10, 20 years, you know, but I reached out to a lot of people because I knew I would wear any one person out. Uh, to which and, his son said the other day, you wore them out anyway, Dad. <laughs> yeah, I said, you wore all of them out. But that's okay. They all love you. Yeah. So. And, and I think, yes, and, and I didn't talk to my bishop because he was not understanding, he was judgy, and, uh, and so I didn't, I didn't go to him. Um, but I actually, I never contemplated suicide, but I actually lost the will to live for a while uh, in that whole thing. I mean, if, if I had had an easy way out without having to actually kill myself, I don't know, I might have taken it. Yeah. And so... To me, that is still kind of traumatic. I mean, I was I I did some therapy, which helped a lot. And my therapist asked me, What's your biggest fear? And I said, that I'm gonna get depressed and lose everything again. You know, that I'll go through a major episode of depression and lose track of my life like I did before. 
and which is often why you say mental health is your most important job yeah i say mental health is job one for me and i used to say that even when i ran my own business taking care of my mental health is job one because i can't do diddly for a client if i'm not feeling you know reasonably decent so anyway i i feel i feel like that's a crucial point is that the voice that you're listening to when you're in that to back to what we were talking about survival mode or as jeff just shared when you're in a long period of time of trauma or grief and i think divorce brings a very unique kind of grief um that that the voice of isolation feels very loud and profound the story you tell yourself is what you're dealing with is too much for anyone and um, no one will understand and no one's empathetic or no one can help or fill in the gap. There's a lot of stories. So I would say identify that voice and that story and then listen to the voice you're hearing on the, the Lily podcast first, right? Like the voice you're hearing us talk about right now for those that have gone through it is start with a list of people. Not everyone on that list on your team are going to be in charge of everything. But what's beautiful about that is um, with texting and, and messaging, you, you can send messages out to team members and say, this is what I'm in need of. And I'm, and I'm reaching out because I know that the voice in my head is saying isolate. Like right. literally blame it on, I was listening to this lady on this podcast. She has a really weird name, Gaina Lynn. She just said, blame it all on me. I'm totally fine with that. And say in your text message, I am taking responsibility for my mental health and I am identifying the things that I need. And one of the things that would be helpful is some, I need to improve connection. Or let's take the example of someone that's uh, widowed and, and has young kids. Maybe it's something like, Every week you find watching the grass grow and not getting it mowed is the big stress. You know, oftentimes well-meaning friends, when they see a big change in someone's life, like a divorce or a death, um, there's a rallying of the troops, right? Everyone comes to say, what can I do to help? And, and then that period of time ends, and then you're living the reality of it, and everyone's gone back to their quote-unquote normal lives. Well, in reality, they're all fighting their own battles as well. And so part of what I believe is in my faith, Zion, is that we're one heart and one mind. That doesn't mean I'm the best person to fix your broken down car, but I'm really good at vacuuming. I really am. I'm really good at it. I have a new book coming out in May and there's a chapter. It's all about stewardships. And I have a neighbor that's super creative and she can make jewelry and paint and, and bake cakes. Those aren't my talents, but I'm great at vacuuming. So there's some women in my neighborhood that have gone through divorces the last few years. Um, I often will text and say, do you need a good vacuum? Like I'm awesome at vacuuming, right? Now that's not like, I can't be your therapist. Um, I probably am not even with my work schedule available to babysit a lot, but once a month I could come vacuum, right? And so, um, but you know, what's interesting, Kathy and Jeff, is that people don't take me up on that. Isn't it funny right. that the story in our heads are no one can help us. And then when people say, what can I do to help? We don't even know what to ask for. So that's what, life yeah. is hard, you're on your own, and nobody right, right. So making that list, I think, is a really important point to start at. And then maybe go down that list and identify your own awareness of those people and what they're good at, what their strengths are. 
you know, is someone on that list, um, an accountant that you could ask some tax advice because now you're single for the first time and you're trying to get your taxes filed. My husband's a CPA. And I think in the 30 years we've been married, um, he's done a lot of single women's taxes for free because he can't do that right now because of his, his full-time job is 70 plus hours a week, but there's been periods of time. He will recommend somebody else like call this person, right? So go through that list and then identify, then make a list of if you're struggling, where is all your energy going? And this brings up not to plug my book again, um, but we all have stewardships and the whole, yeah, plug your book and tell us what it's going to be called. Okay. It's called the stewardship principle. The uh, pre-order link is already up on Siegel book. Um, it's 719, which is a deal. That's not going to be the final price when it's released in May. Um, people have been asking, I've been talking about it on my shows, on other people's shows for over a year now. And everyone thinks the book's already out. It's not, but it's closer than it was a few months ago. And the idea of this is that it's divided up into different stewardships, but everything in my life is a stewardship. My health, my marital status, my chronic illness, my sister's suicide, my best-selling books, my unemployment, my kids' choices, my parenting, my infertility. I, I mean, I could name a million. My addictions, my ADD, my whatever. I, I don't have all of those stewardships, but I'm saying my because I want your, your listeners to identify. Everything in my house is a stewardship. Everything that I own, my money, my lack of money. The problem is in our society, we celebrate certain stewardships, right? We say, oh my gosh, you just got married. That's amazing. Oh my gosh, you just got a divorce. That's horrible. Are there hard stewardships? Yes. But when we see everything as a stewardship assignment, what changes is we go into the mode of it's not my identity. And I think especially with your audience, right? That your singlehood is not your identity. It's part of one of your stewardships. Just like paying your bills is one of your stewardships. Just like going to the dentist every six months is a stewardship, right? The only reason I go to the dentist is because one of my stewardships is my body and it includes teeth, right? So that's my way of caring for my teeth. If I go to the dentist though, and somehow um, all of a sudden, this did happen to me about 27 years ago, I all of a sudden had never had cavities and I had seven cavities. Well, I was married already. I was functioning adult. I wasn't eating candy for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Why did I have all of a sudden cavities? I was still brushing my teeth and flossing and taking care of myself. Well, what we didn't know at the time is that was indicating my chronic illness was showing up. I, I was eventually diagnosed with lupus and I had a heart condition. And those that change in my teeth was a signal something was changing in my health, right? So it was then my job to figure out what was going on with my body. Now, my neighbor at the time was training for a marathon. They weren't worried about cavities. They were like functioning amazing in their stewardship. And so I think sometimes whether you're single, whether you're going through a divorce and what we were talking about on mental health and when trying to get that support when you're in that fight or flight experience is look at all your stewardships and where on your team list can you find a helper to support on those stewardships. And then where on that stewardship list have you gone into ownership? So the opposite of stewardship is ownership. The biggest way I, and the way I write the book is I give a voice to ownership. So for example, you go through a divorce, ownership may sound like this, and maybe Jeff, you can, you, you reference those four years 
Um, this is the voice you probably were waking up with. Like, I'm horrible. I'm a failure. My marriage ended. And it wasn't supposed to turn out like this. It wasn't supposed to turn out like this. I did everything I was supposed to do. Check, check, check. And now I'm, now I'm divorced. That is, that is a normal response, but that is an ownership mindset. Jeff isn't bad because he's going through divorce. Jeff is having a divorce stewardship experience. And so instead of being in ownership, I think the best stewardship example I can give for ownership is parenting. I have an adult child that's 24 and now I have our baby is 18. So now I have two adult children and man, oh man, you have adult children and they'll teach you about stewardship versus ownership because, you know, depending on the age of your kids, you have more influence than as they age, you get to be more of an advisor. And so if I'm not careful, the ownership in my brain is telling me the choices of my kids or my ex-spouse or, or my boss are me and they're not right. Right. So I I would say for those that are feeling buried and overwhelmed, make a list of the people in your life that, you know, don't put value on whether or not they're going to be helpful or not. Make a list of the stewardships and see where you can get support in some of those stewardships. You know, no one can feed me. I mean, I, they could, if I was in a coma, I guess I would be on a feeding tube, but that's a stewardship on me, but I'm not right now when I'm working on multiple books, which I'm doing right now in two shows, cooking is not my number one thing, right? So that's something that my husband loves to cook on a Sunday and we don't have a ton of little kids in the house that need food. And so that stewardship has changed. So maybe you're in a situation in fight or flight where you could go back to that group of people that were willing to help you and say, you know what, having help with a meal once or twice a week would help me feel some support so I can do the stewardships over here that I can't, I can't ask for someone to come in and do. These are the things that I can only do. Now, we think when we're in trauma that everything is on us, the farmer The farmer in us is loud and clear. Like it's all on me. It's all on my shoulders. And, and so I just want to validate to your listeners. Every time I solve one problem, three will come up. Yes. I can never get ahead of it. Yes. Yes. The last month we've had three broken down cards of the four cards, right? Like it's just been, and after a while you're like, okay, okay, God, what are you trying to, what am I missing here in this story? Right. Now we have a neighbor who's great at fixing cars. So he helped. Well, the other day I realized I I needed to borrow my neighbor's car who doesn't use her second car all the time. That's a simple example, right? That helped me get through that week instead of it just being in my head and my problems. So for your listeners, if you're in that space, the biggest mental health tool is start to identify where support is. And then as Jeff already taught, that doesn't have to be one magic person, you know? I always say it's not. And when friends often say, I'm worried that someone's suicidal, your, your responsibility is to have the conversation. Your responsibility is not to be the therapist, right? Your responsibility as a good friend is to text and say, I'm worried about you. Are you having thoughts of hurting yourself? And then encourage that person. Okay. I'm going to give you two days to reach out and find a therapist because I'm going to be your good friend. I'm not going to be your therapist. So often we don't know how to help. So we say nothing. And we think that help looks like fixing the problem. Well, if your friend is going through a divorce or just lost their spouse, there's no fixing that. There's no fixing that, right? There is, 
support that can be given. So be clear on what your stewardships are. What, where do your, where does your time and your money, where do your possessions need help? Where do your relationships need help? Where does your mental health need help? And then ask that question that we started this episode with is what does support look like? And then just start going down that list. Start asking people, I'm having courage. I listened to this lady on this podcast. I'm going to have some courage and be vulnerable and ask for some help. Would you be able to support me in fill in the blank this week? My broken down car, my lawn that needs mowing. Um, I, I could use some help getting some meals prepped on Saturday so that I can make it through a long week when I'm taking care of my kids and trying to work, whatever that is. Those are just a few examples. And that could even be fun because it's right. friends getting together. To right. Yeah. Right. That could actually serve mental health needs well at the same right. time. Because there's connection there and you're not isolated. Yeah, actually, that's a great idea because we, we just talked about, well, where's the time for mental health? Well, do it in combination with right. the daily tasks. So right. Um, um, and then I think you said third. So you said first, list everyone without judgment. Two, identify who can help and reach out to them. Three, you said, where am I spending my energy? And is there anything yeah. I can let go of? I, I'm assuming that's what you're meaning. Yeah, make a list of your stewardships. Where is all the things, when I calendar, like we do this as a family and you can do this no matter what your family looks like. Every Sunday night for probably 20 years, we have family council and we have a calendar conversation. But I personally first calendar as the mom and the wife about where my demands are that week. And I have a color-coded digital calendar, but I also have a trusty paper one because I'm a paper girl. And so on my digital calendar, everything's color-coded. So all my stewardships have colors. So my possessions, my career, my, my family members all have different colors. So I can visually look at my digital camera or calendar and I can see where all my stewardships are. Some weeks there's all light gray, which is a lot of professional stuff. So if someone calls me come Wednesday and wants me to do one more professional thing, that's usually the week I say no to that. But I can also look at fun, which doesn't always show up. It's a certain like teal blue color. And so, um, or relationships, I have a color for that, right? Like, did I plan something that week? That's a relationship-based experience on my calendar. I have one for church. So I can kind of look at my calendar and say, where did I do church commitments at times in my life? I had really demanding church responsibilities. And so my whole calendar was a lot less, less light gray and a lot more orange, which is my church color, right? So I have, I have that visual, but I also think that that's a really helpful tool to identify your stewardships. Where are you expending that energy? Where are the pressures in your life? Where are you doing um, light yellow is my personal color. And so I always make sure my week has some light yellow that shows up and that's like scheduled, non-optional um, self-care, non-optional, like, because I'm the one responsible for keeping gas in my car. If my car runs out of gas, that's on me. So mental health is on you, no matter what your dynamics are. And I've done massage when we had no job and no money. Like I found ways because I knew for me personally with chronic illness and with my mental health, there were certain things that were non-negotiable. I couldn't I couldn't do what was the bare basics if I wasn't doing some of these investments in me. And so that's the third or fourth thing on that list is identifying all those stewardships and being really clear that not all of them are just on you. You know, um, if you do have a partner or you have kids in the home that can help, maybe that's a great time to sit down on a Sunday and say, 
division of responsibility, right? We all live in this house. I'm not the only one putting garbage in the garbage can. So who's going to take care of the garbage, right? Um, yeah, having help kids help out. For yeah, sure. yeah. I have some a, a number of friends that are single parents. And I would say that for them, um, they're working and they're parenting. And so that that individual connection time is probably the lowest on the list. But the beautiful part of technology is with Marco Polo, with some apps, um, you can create connection in different ways. I love Marco Polo because it's free. Um, I happen to know the founders and I've gotten to know them over the years. What I love about it for singles that are trying to parent and are really busy or career individuals that are single that are very busy is you can, when you're in the car driving, Marco Polo people are in the, the closet doing laundry and then they can choose when they respond. For me, it's more emotional based than texting and it's more connecting. So it's super helpful with mental health because you can see someone's face. Now, listen, anytime I tell people about Marco Polo, they're like, oh my gosh. And so I always Marco people with no makeup on in my pajamas with my hair crazy because it's not a beauty pageant. These are your, these are your friends. And also you can do groups. So you can do a Marco Polo group of all your single friends or all your widow friends or all your divorced friends, right? Or two or three of them where everyone can choose to go on whenever they want. It doesn't mean someone didn't answer, right? And texting to me, you don't know the emotion behind it. Um, there's something about hearing someone's voice on Marco Polo and seeing their face that I think is a really helpful tool. And I don't get authentic. Yeah. And I don't get any money for it. So this isn't a commercial and it's free. So I'm not I'm not getting anything from sharing it other than I tell people about it a lot because um, I think sometimes we default to texting and we don't always feel that emotional authenticity through a text. Sure. So I would like to bring you back to the subject of mid-single men one more time. Okay. And I, I want to ask you a question on two sides of this okay. thought. This has been um, on our minds a lot lately. The, the um, I've heard Brene Brown say that she didn't study women or men at first she only studied women and then she had this guy come up to her at a a book signing and he said you know you've talked about the importance of being vulnerable and so on why didn't you talk about or mention men and she said i don't study men and he said well that's convenient and she said what do you mean that's convenient and he said you see those daughters and that and my wife that you just signed those books for and he said yeah she said yes and he said they would rather see me die on my white horse than watch me fall down mm -hmm. and then she makes the point that for men shame is one thing do not be seen as weak and right. i think in the mental health field that is where it manifests the most right I can't go to a therapist because that might imply that I'm crazy or there's something wrong with me. I'm weak. I'm less than Superman. And Brene also made the point that it isn't the dads and the coaches and everybody else that's putting this pressure on us. It's women. And I, while I think there are plenty of exceptions to that, I have found it generally true that women have a hard time handling it when we men have emotions. So I'm going to challenge the great Brene Brown just a little bit. And I know in her research, she's expanded and done a lot more corporate research and training. Um, 
I do agree that culturally speaking, men have been socialized to believe that they have to stay on the white horse and that women are part of that socialization. So I understand why she is saying that. What I would challenge though in that thinking is just as much men are victim to that socialization, so are women, right? And so when Brene brings this up, it allows us to have a different conversation. And I would say this, I can't count. I've lost count of how many middle-aged men have confessed to me on an airplane ride, um, total stranger, right? About their mental health needs, right? Because the minute they ask through small chat, who am I, what do I do? The conversation turns to mental health. And um, what I inevitably say is your job is reframing that the way you're best providing for your family is going to your therapist. Right. So when we have a conversation with men, we get to challenge their story and we get to say to women, that it actually is strength. So it starts with when women as well, who also tell themselves a story of, I have to do everything in the house. I have to do it all, right. I have to do it all and my husband doesn't understand or whatever that is. It's, it's, I mean, I'm about to turn 51 in, in about nine days. And it's very clear that I, one of the areas of growth I still have is owning a range of my feelings within my family. With my friends, I'm very transparent. Within my family, because of my own childhood trauma, I sometimes check certain emotions at the door. Well, that's not on my husband, that's on me. So let me ask you to talk about the two sides of this now. And and by the way, I think everything you've said in response to that question is brilliant. But the the first part of it is, okay, if, if I'm a, a woman or a family member, whatever, and I love a man, where am I potentially being blind to his mental health concerns or whatever? And then on the other side of that, if I am the man um, and I'm socialized, like, and you're right, men and women are both socialized with this paradigm that men have to be Superman and not have feelings and put everyone above themselves and you know all this stuff. So um, if if I'm a man in this society, which I guess I am, how, what would you say to to uh, particularly mid single men who may have been through trauma and well, uh, virtually all of them have been through trauma, men and women. But but what would you say to them about how to manage their own thing and get over the the socialization? And then what would, of course, what would you say to the the women in their lives um, about what they might be missing? Okay, so on one of my shows, The Middle, I discuss various middles and I had the opportunity to have Reno and Sunny Mahi as a guest. And for those that know their story, they lost a daughter in a very tragic accident and Reno is an ex-NFL football player, uh, football coach at BYU. I mean, talk about the man of the men of the manly men, right? Yeah. And um, uh, we had a really open, honest conversation about what he learned about mental health after the loss of his daughter. And he said pretty boldly, you know, you can drive around town and every street corner, there's a gym to go to, right? To go bulk up and get big muscles, right? 
he said, I, I want to live in a day and age where every corner has a therapy office, right? For right. him, this loss of his daughter really brought to mind the most masculine, most profound way he could provide for his family is to deal with his grief and get some mental health help. So I would say the first answer to that question is men, it starts with you. It starts with you listening to this podcast and deciding that you deserve to have mental health support and that it is part of your health journey. Number two, men, whether the women in your life support this and are ready to own their own mental health, because we only treat people the way we treat ourselves. We only respond to people based on our own internal hurt. If you frame this mental health journey that you're on, because to me, it's not an arrival on a map. Like you don't check it off and go, okay, I I'm good mental health wise for the rest of my life. Check. I'm done. You know, it's it's an ongoing stewardship. It's an ongoing stewardship. And so for the men out there, I want you to understand is we want you to be mentally well. I don't want to live in a society where men are obsolete and not needed. I don't want to live in a world where men don't feel like it's full permission and masculine to talk about their feelings. Let's go back to God as an example. Now, some people identify God, maybe not as a male, but in my faith, Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ are both male. And specifically in the scriptures, we hear and see Jesus weeping after three days when his best friend is dead. Now, the reason why that's crucial is for all the Princess Bride fans out there. Lazarus wasn't nearly dead. He was, he wasn't mostly dead. He was <laughs> dead, dead. He was three days past dead, dead. And he was already he, smelling. He was already smelling in the Hebrew culture. That was crucial that Jesus could have raised someone mostly dead, but they wanted the miracle. God wanted the miracle to be of a dead, dead individual, but Jesus cried first. He knew the end of the story. He knew he was going to raise him from the dead. So right there, if you want to take a perfect example of perfect balance of characteristics, and I think most Christians on the planet would agree that Jesus was perfect, then is there a way we can reframe that culturally we've done this to ourselves? And the men in our lives that choose to make time for their mental health are giving back to the people they love and the women in their life will get a better version of them. End of story. Right. As my husband works on his self-care, he has more to give. He is a different, he gives differently in a boundary way because he has to say no to certain things to put himself on the schedule. Right. And, and, and the reverse is true about the women, right? Somewhere along the way, we believed women had to, to be a good mom or to be a good whatever. We had to like not have needs and not complain. So isn't it interesting that Culturally, we think men struggle with this story. Well, women do too for different reasons. Socializing in a partnership means that both parties are only able to give what they have to give. And so uh, to me, when I hear about a man who is going to therapy, I'm like, you better be posting that on social media in like two minutes. You better be rejoicing. I posted a picture of myself with my therapist. Right, right. Right, because she was one of the biggest influences in my life. Right, because what do we do instead is that we celebrate so-and-so finish a half marathon or for the hunters out there, their latest kill on the hunt or or the score on the game or the 
new car they bought. To me, uh, if we start social media posting about mental health and therapy, um, there's something to be said. I want to partner and work with men that are very aware of their mental health, because the more they're boundaried and more healthy in their life, the more they can collaborate with me on a work project, um, partnering with my husband and raising our children, right? Now, listen, I'm going to say there's also seasons in a marriage. Um, there have been seasons in our lives where my husband was going through unemployment and cancer and our dog was killed. That was a very challenging time. Soon after that, my sister died by suicide. We had seven years of some of the most excruciating experiences. And there were times where we were both the walking dead. Like we were both in survival mode, but we've been married 30 years. And I would say there's seasons where I'm struggling. I'm more vulnerable. And I do rely on my husband feeling more steady. But there are times where he, as the accountant provider, was unemployed with skin cancer and we were losing everything and selling everything, I took over paying all the bills, right? And so what I would say is whether you're single or in a partnership, the, the, you're only able to treat people the way you treat yourself. And so often in a marriage, we think if we could just fix our partner, we could fix this situation. And I would say, make mental health tonight the thing you celebrate the most in your partner. Like acknowledge to each other, hey, I loved how you took time to go meditate. I love that you spent time at the gym. Celebrate the times in which we do that. Now, I'm going to say this, Jeff, to go back to your first part of your first question. When you go and ask a, a man in your life this week, how are they doing with their mental health? And I mean that. I'm saying Every one of us works with someone, married to someone, lives with someone that's a man. So I'm putting it on everybody, men and women, to go to men in your life this week and say, how's your mental health? And they will inevitably, I'm going to read the future here. They're going to say, I'm fine. They are. They are. They're going to say, I'm fine. Then you're going to pull up. At least. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So you're going to pull out your phone and all your emojis and you're going to say, okay, try again. Tell me how your mental health is doing. Have them pick an emoji. There's like 2,000 emojis. They could pick poop emoji, the devil emoji, the crazy brain emoji, the tired the emoji. Stare emoji. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's like five different crying ones. So it's not one sobbing hysterical one. It's one with two teardrops, right? Have them pick an emoji. And then this is the next follow-up question. You say, okay, tell me more about that. Do you see what I did there, Jeff? I did not, I didn't have to have the solution. I didn't have to. I didn't have to. Um... From Kathy, I don't want the solution. I, exactly. I want support and yeah. empathy. And but guess what, Jeff? Kathy doesn't want the solution from you either. By the way, I she know. wants the, so much of what we think men and women want is so different. It, it's the same. We want to be seen. We want to be heard, and we want to be validated. If I want a solution, I'll turn to my husband or my therapist or my best friend and I'll say, give me an idea of a solution. But most of the time, that's not the first layer. Right now, we're just trying to say, how's your mental health? You and then be understood first. Right. And we want to start the conversation with the men in our lives. What happens and what I said to Reno Mahe that day when we taped is that when the men in our lives culturally start to celebrate and embrace mental health, do you know what will happen in our culture? right? Less divorce, better marriages, everything, less everything. suicide, which is your, 
everything, everything, everything. And we will have men that are feeling like they're in their power. They're not less, they're celebrated. So for every woman out there, the next time you hear a man is taking time to meet with a coach or talk to a therapist, like buy them a milkshake or, you know, like, I don't know, celebrate the heck out of it because that ripples into our society. When we have strong passion, this is a new passion for me. I want to educate men about this and I want to educate women about it. Relationships and, and emotions are too important to be relegated to girl talk. And, you know, if you're a woman and say, I'll only go to a female therapist or whatever, think again. There, there's a lot we can learn from each other if we're, if we're open. And I'm not saying you can't choose a female therapist. I'm just saying, don't dismiss all the great male therapists out there out of hand and vice versa. Right. For a man, go to a woman if you, if you want to. Yeah. There's so, there's so much we can learn from each other. And I don't want to live in a world where we have all men or all women. We need, we, we've needed to correct um, some misogyny in our culture as well, where sure. women's voices have been um, relegated to, are you sexually appealing and how pretty are you? And don't say much more after that. So there, we could do a whole 12 other episodes about that dynamic, but I would say to get back to the heart of time, we should, you're at, right. But, but I would say for sure, the beginning points are the men, men in our lives are the most vulnerable for, for suicide. And so we start there, we start talking about mental health in a way in our families where the men show by example, you know, I, I hear from too many fathers that lose their children to suicide that say, I wish I had had a different conversation. Well, I always say to them, then it starts with you. You're not going to get your teenager to talk if they think that dad's got it all figured out. They're not, they're not going to think that you understand what's going on. So I'm not, I'm not saying we fully disclose every issue to our children because I think there's boundaries and how much we share, but I think it's important to go back to what we started this whole episode talking about is at dinner time at the game. I don't know how many guys have told me they've been out on hunting trips, which is a very awkward time to have your buddy who's holding a gun tell you that for the last two years, they've been suicidal, right? I mean, that's, that's the reality. But for men, you know, if, if my husband, unfortunately, if I ever lost my husband, I have a community that includes a lot of people men generally that community gets smaller as they get married and they they focus just on their families and so they don't have the same outlets of connection right and so well and i want to to point out that jeff reached back to people who had been 10 20 years in his past and they can do the same right everyone good job jeff good job one of them was an amazing person she was a former miss utah very successful in all kinds of things she's done and she told me that after uh, having a baby, she had such severe postpartum depression, literally all she could, the most she could do was to sit and organize her jewelry box. And that little world inside her jewelry box, she could give some sense of order to and feel the, the chaos, sense yeah. of accomplishment. Yeah. And, and honestly, I felt that way too. Like I couldn't even open my mail because I was so afraid of what might be in those envelopes because of all everything that felt like it was coming at me. And if you've had an unemployed husband and been through the things you're talking about, you know, exactly what I'm talking about. Multiple times, multiple times. You know, I would just, I just had this aha moment 
because you mentioned that women also need to stop just always doing for everyone and stop and take care of their own mental health. And even though we've found that in our own Love and Later Years group, for instance, more women are on online making comments and, and, and doing the connected, connecting thing. It's a little more natural for us maybe to do that. It's also more natural for us to dive into our kids and make that our only laser focus. And then we lose track of all our other stewardships. And if we're doing that, then it makes it harder to celebrate men and their mental health needs. So I think in order for women to really support their men in going out and, and doing those healthy things, we need to do that ourselves too. And I love that you said better. I love that you said stewardship. It's my favorite word right now. And it has been for a few years. And I would say this, it's a principle. That's why the title of the book is the stewardship principle, reframing your life, because principles are not a one and done and you get to practice them. And I go into ownership and then I have to identify that voice and go back into stewardship. And one of the things that I think as women we do is we go into ownership about our bodies. And I think loving in later years, right? I'm a 50 year old woman and my, my, my physical appearance is different than it was in my twenties and my thirties. And sometimes we go into ownership. And so one of the things I loved of what you just said, Kathy, is if we're not careful, right? We we get um, we get off balance in yeah. in our stewardship assignments, and all of a sudden it's about the kids and about a marriage, and now the marriage is ended and our career, and then that ends because we lose the job or the house, and we lose the house, and 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 then it's our bodies, and we're in all this ownership. And one of the things that is so helpful in stewarding is it's about boundaries. Mm. It really is about boundaries. And so one of the things I would say is my baby just turned 18. If my whole identity, it's already hard enough. Like I cry very easily when I talk about it, that where is all these 25 plus years of parenting a human in my house gone there? It's changing. So one of the things I like to say is the most loving people are the most boundaried people. Right. So whether we're talking about what we were just talking with Jeff about and men owning the boundary of their own mental health or women who have extended or overextended themselves for years because their worth, quote, their ownership is in all these exterior things, their children, their bodies, their house, their money, their marriage, whatever that is. When there's a disruption and, and on this show, you talk about those disruptions, whether it's divorce, widowhood, or they've not married ever, there's a disruption. It is a beautiful way. I just posted about this today on social media. Um, the disruptions that I've been feeling recently are God's way of saying, what's the new divine design in your life? Hmm. So this conversation with you guys is the oper operational moment for some people to go, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, my mental health, I, I'm, I'm doing what Jeff just described her. Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm exactly where Kathy's just describing where you know, my whole identity is about all this stuff outside of me. That might be the disruption to have you go back and say, where are the new boundaries I need to have? You yeah, know, the people in my life that are the most boundary, ironically, are the ones I will ask help from because I know they'll say no if they can't do it. The people in my life that don't have good boundaries, I'm afraid to ever ask for help from them because they'll say yes all day long. Right. But it's not good for them. It's not good. Yeah. Like they don't the, try to take it over sometimes. Right. Right. They don't have, they're not using those skills and tools in their own mental health life. And so 
I'm much more willing to call the people I know are working on their mental health for help. Isn't that ironic? So the women specifically, what, what do you want to teach those children in your life? I don't want my daughter to leave this world thinking that it's about taking care of everybody else. I want her to see that her mom took time for herself, right? Right. Because she's going to have more capacity to go out into the world and be who she needs to be if she sees boundaries in her family. Right. You can't give water from an empty well. Exactly. And I, I want to ask Kathy something real quick. Um, I know you have something else you wanted to say or ask, but you also kind of like Dana Lynn has talked about, have had some health issues and, and uh, a lot of that came, did it not from feeling like you had to do it all as oh, a single yeah. mom and the whole thing. Super so single could, mom syndrome. Maybe you could speak to that real quick and then ask whatever you want to. Well, yeah, so I, I didn't, I did not, I I am sad to say, understand what it was doing to my health to be in super mom, super single mom syndrome. Driving and pushing. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's some things I don't regret about stepping into stewardships that were handed to me like you said like i was experiencing a divorce stewardship and a single mom stewardship um but it wasn't always balanced and that definitely led to some hardship but there was also some things in my body that were probably bound to do that with any kind of stress right so it wasn't the thing it was the imbalance and you were having both grief and fear at the same time right yeah yeah i was Um, so I think, I guess what I, what I wanted to actually just touch on just a little bit is a concern that I've had about self-love because we've talked about that on this podcast. And sometimes Mm. that episode is just entirely skipped. And there was actually a a very heated discussion in a singles group recently. A fairly enlightened singles group too, really. Well, yeah. One that we actually really, I mean, we really like the people in it, but there was quite a heated discussion about self-love and how that's not, there was a pyramid and God was at the top and then the spouse and then the children. And I'm, I said, where is the self on this? And they're like, oh, well, there, that's not God's way. I'm like, how is it not God's way? We've got the two great commandments and we're supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves or ourselves are on the two greatest commandments there are. And so for me, I guess self-love. One pretty intelligent woman said, no loving mother would put herself above her children. And, and I, there, uh, that just drives me crazy on so many levels. Well, I can't even think of how we would stay living if we didn't sometimes put ourselves before our children. Um, and so maybe sometimes we just take that for granted. But I just, for me, the self-love is the responsibility and stewardship of mental health and other health needs. Well, to go back to the analogy of the air plane they always instruct that oxygen first i think the hard part is that we don't know sometimes that we haven't honored the boundary until we've been disrupted and so sometimes that's a diagnosis of of a chronic illness or something else that shows up that says hey and and i think kathy you're probably if we we delve into anyone's one story there's certain stewardships that that for a period of time are what i write about in my book you are more than enough the glass balls. So when you're newly divorced, the glass ball probably isn't 
a, a ton of time for massage and right. You have to triage like a nurse does. What is the most important thing? But what we have to look at is, is something sustainable over a long period of time. And if we're not careful on the boundaries, if we're always the rubber ball that can bounce our health, our self-care, our, our mental health, then eventually that rubber ball, I write about this in, in You Are More Than Enough, becomes the glass ball. And if a glass ball drops, it breaks. And so one of the things that's crucial is that we take those times, whether it's daily meditation, weekly calendaring, to kind of check in and say, is this sustainable over time? Do I need to reassess? Boundaries are not like hardcore um, um, state lines that are on a map and immovable. They are adjustable and flexible. And so depending on the needs of your family, that depending on your availability. But the problem is, is we misinterpret it that God in his all omniscient loving never puts himself on the schedule. And that's just not true. The scriptures show that the savior left and went into the wilderness. Why? Why did the savior leave to go rest while the apostles were on the boat? God took a Sabbath too. Right. So God took a Sabbath in his creation. After periods of time, he knew he needed a period of rest. We have culturally misinterpreted that the most loving Christ-like people are the ones that give, 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 and say yes. And that's absolutely exactly what I was just referencing. The most loving people I know are the ones that are boundary. Right. The ones that don't have boundaries go into codependency. They, they are running on empty. Their identity is too intertwined with relationships. And so they're not able to really be in what we would call true in a loving space. God says no to us every single day. And God, we would say, is the most loving. So why, as his children, are we not practicing those no's more so that we can say yes to other things? If I say yes to every request to speak on every platform and interview with every person, I will be saying no to other things. Every time we say yes, there is an automatic built-in no. And every time we say no, which sometimes we're afraid, especially as women, to say no, when we say no, we're saying yes to a whole bunch of things. So what do you need to start saying yes to? Well, the next time you have that automatic knee-jerk reaction because your neighbor needs help or they need volunteers at the whatever group or the whatever needs you here and then one more load of laundry, what are you saying no to by saying those automatic yeses? And swap it. What do you need to start saying no to so you can say yes to what you value? Um, I, I think it's a really interesting cultural a misnomer to assume that to be godlike means we don't self-care. The scriptures actually do not show that or support that at all. That's what I think too. And I am so yeah. glad we talked about this because I do get concerned about codependency and and wearing ourselves out and not being sustainable in our energy. And I mean those are all the concerns I have. And I am really glad we talked about this today and that we clarified that self-love is, is part of our stewardship yep. and that self-care is how we show up better in this world. And it's not selfish. It's not, in fact, if anything, it is the most loving thing. Like you said, the most loving people have boundaries. The most loving people do mental health work. I mean, Elder Bednar, I think, talked about it in terms of those spinning plates that you see in a circus or whatever. 
and he talked about balance in terms of you're keeping these plates spinning and one of them starts to wobble and you have to go over and spin that plate to keep it upright or it's going to fall. So the priorities do vary depending on this, the context. But I think where we get into trouble with that is, I mean, of course you can't ignore a crying baby in the middle of the night that needs to be fed or changed. You know, I mean, there's, there are things that will demand our attention, the urgent, urgent things like that. But if I am so protective of my kids that I can't leave them with a babysitter and go out on a date with my spouse, then we're going to drift and become less, you know, less uh, connected. The, the glass, not good the, for the kids. The glass ball will be your marriage. Inevitably, right. the glass ball will be your marriage. And your children's future glass balls will be, they won't know how to foster their primary relationships with their spouse either because in their minds, you only focus on kids, right? So. 100%. Yeah, and I actually, you, I brought up the Max. Uh, oxygen mask is one of the many things I thought of the reasons why we need to have self self on this priority list of, yeah. of, of important things. Um, but as I pondered it, I thought, yes, that's, that's a very good object lesson, but it shouldn't just be when there's urgent need and you're going to die if you don't have oxygen. It should it's, be. It's why I teach stewardships, right? It's, you don't check yourself at the door every day. You don't get an option out of caring for that stewardship. Now, if you're caring for an aging parent or a disabled son or a husband or wife that is, I have a neighbor whose wife had early Alzheimer's in at age of 43. She's completely dependent upon him. And he also was called to be Bishop after that, right? Wow. He had a business he was running. So he had a stewardship of a business and Bishop and, so his ward helped in Sunday meetings while he would, because his wife is nonverbal and can't feed herself and can't sit up and right. Um, so one of the examples I give is he also needs to factor in where does his self-care need to be in there, right? And, and he's not in a relationship where she's meeting all of his needs. They're in a stewardship assignment right now where she is receiving everything and he, he isn't receiving nothing from her. So that's when they have had to adjust, right? He is now responsible for where is his mental health? Where is his physical health coming? Where is his socializing coming from, right? Okay. And so, to some degree, we're always responsible for our own emotional well-being. No, that's my point is that that doesn't stop just because um, it, it doesn't stop. Now, when I have a new baby and you're awake all night, that's a different, I'm not trying to do the same kind of self-care but over a period of time that's where boundaries have to keep being assessed yeah it's not a stagnant line in the sand it is fluid and it's adjustable yes i i want to ask you to clarify one point on this um i think i understand you but i want to make sure all of our audience does so my stewardship over my own mental health is mine and i bear the, the primary responsibility for that but I may fulfill that in many cases by reaching out to a trusted friend and saying, hey, I'm down today. Can we have a conversation or whatever it may be? Um, is, that, uh, is that in line with what you're telling us? So what I'm saying to you and to your audience is ultimately no therapist I know chases people down the street and says, come into my office to have a therapy appointment. <laughs> yeah. Okay. 
the responsibility of our mental health is on us. And if you're in a situation where you're being abused, your mental health is your responsibility. So when you say, I will no longer be in this relationship because I am being physically abused or emotionally abused or sexually abused, that's you owning your mental health. Does that take the responsibility off the abuser? Absolutely not. And when I say I'm responsible for my own mental health, that doesn't mean I'm going to be the solution for all of my mental health needs. It means I'm responsible for getting the support and being aware of my own mental health. That's also really helpful when it comes to suicide grief, which our family has experienced because my parents and me as the big sister had done a lot to try to help support my sister's mental health. And at the age of 40, when she died by suicide, ultimately with her mental health issues and all the support she was given, my job, my mom's job, her bishop's job, her therapist's job, she had a current therapist at the time, were not in charge of saving her, right? So when we're talking mental health, we can invite, we can influence, and we can love, but we cannot save anyone. The responsibility for my mental health, can my husband, who is a supportive spouse, um, bring up concerns and support with uh, financial decisions that we're making as a couple to get me into therapy if that's needed or him into therapy if that's needed? Of course. Of course, because we're in an interdependent relationship right now, not a codependent, but interdependent. But ultimately, if I wake up and I'm not doing well, it's not on him. If I wake up every day feeling burdened and stressed and overwhelmed and like things aren't, aren't equal in our relationship, that's on me. So often in a relationship, we're mad at our partner because they didn't bring it up or they're not fixing it. First of all, it starts with you. That's what I mean by it starts with you to be your own mental health advocate. That doesn't mean you are your own mental health therapist. That doesn't mean you're totally self-sufficient in every little... No, I don't even use the word self-reliance. I don't like it in the church. I believe in God-reliance. Because for me, self-reliance, I can perfect every part of who I am. I'm still reliant on God. And so I understand the terminology is about progression, developing skills, becoming healthy and healing in areas we need to, and we call it self-reliance. But all the savings in a bank and all the food storage in the basement and all the therapy in the world and all the exercise program in the world and all the scripture study in the world is not going to stop the tornado hitting your house and ripping the roof off. It's just not. What you're doing all those things for is to develop the skills and the ability so that when the shredding of your house literally happens from a tornado that comes over, which we have people now in the Midwest that have just lost whole towns because of that. That you somehow have the resiliency, as Brene Brown talks about, to have the skills to navigate that tragedy. The toolbox. The toolbox. The toolbox. With the new stewardship assignment of a tornado just ripped your whole town to shreds, and now you're homeless, and it's two weeks before Christmas, what do you do, right? All the food storage and savings in the world and therapy isn't going to prevent that. And well, it's all so, about preparing ourselves for our it, lives. And it, and it sometimes is that we're disrupted in a way that we get the wake up call in a divorce, a death, a chronic illness diagnosis, a job loss, a tornado, or all wake up disruptions, right? That allow us to stop. And I would say, after the last two years of the pandemic, it has revealed for many marriages what wasn't working. In some marriages, it revealed what was working and what needed help. 
right? In, in many ways, we had a pandemic to show what was working socially, what was working spiritually, what was working physically, right? And then we got to look at what wasn't working, right? Like it revealed it was a stewardship assignment that we did globally. That was what was common. But the people that experienced the pandemic in Zimbabwe, where my son served a mission, did not experience the same pandemic I experienced in Utah. They just right. didn't. Yeah. Right? So we all have the same stewardship assignment, but not really the same stewardship assignment. Anyone divorced that listens to the show could probably find commonalities. But it's up to us individually to say, yeah, this is how I, what support looks like for me. That's on me. That's my agency at play. That's not on my partner. That's not on my parents. That's not on my bishop. That's not on my kids. That's not on my best friend or my neighbor or my coworker or my boss. It's on me. And it's certainly not on a former spouse or an abusive part. Oh, right. Partner, right. right. You're not going to show up and fix that. Right. And, and that's why I would say God is very clear about abuse, right? I mean, he cleansed the temple because he was like, no more. That's the boundary. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, Jeff, I hope that clarifies. Like, I believe strongly in huge toolboxes. I believe in having a huge team. I believe in a huge support staff. I teach this. I message around this. I write about this. I speak about it. I do all this creation around these topics. And my support staff is enormous behind me. It's not like 2000 friends. It's I have a tribe of faith friends that I go to. I have therapists that I talk to. I have, right? I know that my mental health requires others to be a part of my life. I have one final question. Maybe Kathy has something additional, but I'd like you to speak directly to anyone in the audience that is contemplating suicide or otherwise really suffering right now. What would you say to them? Well, I think it's a perfect place to end because it's what I always end when I have a chance to message. Um, first and foremost, we will never be better without you. So whatever the story is that you're telling yourself about how you're worthless or that you've messed up too much or that you can't come back from whatever you're experiencing or you're just tired because you've spent a lifetime dealing with depression and anxiety, um, you're not an extra kid that we don't need, number one. Number two, you are learning skills. You are building muscle. You are building resiliency through these stewardships that you're experiencing that inevitably you will be able to share with someone else in need. So I hope you're journaling what you're experiencing, the hard days, the good days, when you do get the support you need, what tools are working, what tools aren't working. I always say, maybe you've tried therapy and it hasn't worked in the past. Well, if I get a bad haircut, I don't just stop getting my haircut. I go find a new person that I like working with. And therapy, it's the same. There's therapists that are great. There's therapists that are mediocre and there's therapists that are horrible, right? Just like hairstylists and mechanics and dentists and everything else or even the right fit or the wrong fit right right I mean what what might be horrible for you might be perfect for me and there's a lot of modalities under that umbrella of therapy it's not just traditional talk therapy there's EMDR there's um, neurological feedback there's um, for me massage is actually therapy for me so I would expand that and then finally um, I would just say more than anything um, my life is not better without Meg. There isn't one day with all number nine book comes out on her birthday, May 1st, 2022. Um, my life isn't better after shows and speaking all over the world and writing books and talking on podcasts like this. 
my, my world isn't better. I've taken her story and I've shared it. And that has put good out into the world. I've heard from thousands of people where they think of Meg and they hear my voice in their head when they're in their closet thinking I'm done to stay in their body. But my life's not better. And, and I also have heard from thousands of people that have, have heard my grief seven and a half years later. It's nearly in a couple of months, it will be eight years since she died. My grief in many ways is not better, right? And so the grief that is left behind, the loved ones in your life um, that will be affected forever, um, please understand that you're not, you're not negotiable. Your life is not extra and we need you. Oh, I love that. We are so grateful that you said yes. That was a great way to end our podcast. Too. Yep. But tell us real quick, where can people find you and, and tell them where to find your books and things like that? Well, thank you for having me. I have been grateful that we could have a longer conversation. Sometimes when I do live TV, it's a four minute, five minute segment. Real talk is 20 minute episodes. The middle is a little longer, but I appreciate being able to really dive deep. Uh, people, if they want to connect with me, I'm on all the social platforms, um, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. I have a YouTube channel, but my website is the easiest way to find my books, my shows, and my platforms because it's all right there. And when you have a really weird name like Gaynal Lynn, it's awesome because you can have a website that's just your name. So if you just start typing in my name, G-A-N-E-L-L, two L's, um, usually Google knows exactly who you're trying to find and it will send you right to my website, gainolin.com. And I love to hear from people and connect with people. Um, be patient if I don't see your message, especially on certain platforms. I may not see your friend requests. Um, I have a professional page on Facebook. Oftentimes um, people send me friend requests and I'm at my limit. So just keep searching. And um, I, I just am really grateful that we all have different stewardship assignments. I'm grateful that other people are learning things that I haven't been asked to learn. And hopefully I'm learning things that you're not asked to learn. And then together we can share what we're learning and help each other get there. And that's why I do what I do in my stewardships that I do. That's perfect. Thank you yeah, so much. Yeah, that was terrific. Welcome. Thank you so yeah. much for coming and, and spending a, an hour with us. Yes, thank you so much. Okay, bye-bye. Subscribe to LilyPod and get notice of each new weekly episode. If you enjoy what you heard, give us a positive review. We want to reach as many mid-singles and later married couples as possible, so please share this podcast with those you love. To access fabulous free content like written articles and YouTube videos on LilyDube, and to learn about our book Intentional Courtship and Lily Coaching Services, visit loveinlateryears.com.